everybody. My name is Sarah Longwell. Welcome to a French Village podcast. We are discussing episodes one and two of season four, which, which means, means renewed, picked up for season four. I, it's you know what, it has everything to do uh, with my brilliant friend Ben Wittis. Uh, I heard from the powers that be that you are just really carrying the show, uh, <laughs> and. Uh, and 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 people wanted more, so we're we're back for season four. And for the first time, we have a special guest with us. Uh, you know, a few weeks back, I was I, I was marveling on the show that I had received a package that was filled with uh, just amazing replicas of all from the show. I had my own personal ID. There was a flag from the resistance. Um, and uh, I, I was pretty sure Ben had gotten one too. Uh, and so we, we last week we said, hey, reach out to us, Fred Jacobs, uh, and come on the show and tell us about the documents. And here he is. Hi, Fred. Hey, how are you guys? Thanks for uh, reaching out to me and thanks for producing the best podcast on the interwebs. Thank you. Uh, well, so we... I have so many questions about this package of material that uh, we both received, um, uh, but I want to start uh, just by having you describe what was in it, because it's actually a pretty, you know, a pretty considerable uh, uh, package of material that, you know, if I ever get trapped in Vichy, <laughs> France and have to get through gendarme checkpoints, German checkpoints, uh, if I have to prove that I'm not Jewish, which of course I am, <laughs> um, uh, it'll be super useful. Um, so what did you include in there? And uh, like, what does a full package of documents for, for survival in Villeneuve uh, include? Yes, um, it, it, it includes uh, personal identity cards. It includes uh, transportation passes. It includes uh, food ration cards. Um, and uh, it, it's really um, everything that you would need to, uh, it, on your person, you know, for daily life in a police state. Um, which is, uh, you know, quite something to, to think about. It's one of the most, uh, uh, powerful, um, uh, effects of watching the, the show. Uh, so I thought you guys would find that really, uh, really meaningful. Yeah. So one thing it does not include, which is really important, uh, for this, uh, 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 season is, an exemption card for forced labor in Germany. And I was wondering whether that was because you don't care whether Sarah and I get enslaved and sent to <laughs> Germany or whether that was just because those documents actually didn't exist. Um, it, it's neither of those. Um, I was assuming that you guys would um, head for the woods and um, join the resistance. Um, so I really wasn't too worried about that, but I did want you to have your rations of uh, cheese and wine to take with you into the into the woods. Uh, well, that's I think that's a good call. I think that it's true that we would be the woods resistance people. But here's my question. I, well, I have many. I mean, first of all, just a small register of complaint. I tried to use the food rations at Giant. <laughs> they did not work. Nobody's taking them these days. Uh, so I don't know how authentic these replicas are. But um, but but. but but wait, how did you how did you start even start listening to the podcast, the show, uh, and then and then I want to know where you got these documents. Yes. But, but so tell us. Sure, um, I've been listening to both of you guys um, for uh, you know as long as you've been um, podcasting. So um, you know, like five or six years, or you know, however long it's uh, it's been since. Uh, early uh, in the last, uh, you know, the presidential uh, cycle. And um, I, I listen to, um, you know, almost everything that you guys uh, do, everything that I'm aware of. You might have some side projects that uh, that I'm not aware of. But so like uh, Bulwark and Lawfare? Bulwark and Lawfare and, you know, um, Rational Security and, you, you know. You were my object lesson on Rational Security yes, this week. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so, I mean, I guess you could... Uh, you know, I hesitate to use 
use the word um, super fan, um, but um, let's just say um, the work that you guys have done has really meant a lot to me um, over the past uh, couple of years, uh, especially uh, because it's smart um, and it's principled. Um, in a time when um, both of those things are kind of uh, in, in short supply. And um, so, uh, and that's kind of what uh, the French Village podcast is about uh, as well. Um, and, and I don't think it was an accident that you uh, kind of were attracted to the, the show like that. Um, and uh, once you, once I, and so I, I started watching the show and, listening because uh one of you guys mentioned uh the that you were doing the podcast so i just uh, decided to check it out um and honestly i would not have stuck with it past the first 30 seconds uh were it not for um sarah's uh enthusiasm about the show um but um i was like hey if she finds something valuable here i'm gonna um stick with it and i'm really glad that i that i did well, I just want to say, JVL, this proves that Sarah Longwell <laughs> is always right. And your skepticism about the French Village podcast idea is hereby rebutted by listener sentiment, because I, I just want to say no one has ever made you a uh, a full complement of, of uh, Vichy um, identification papers. So tell us about the identification papers. Or do you have a background in document forgery, or um, like, <laughs> uh, what do you do for yeah, a living? Yeah, I would just I would like to say even if JVL asked at this point, I don't think I would make them for for JVL. Um, I, Although I have, he's the one, you know, with his whole Appalachian Trail thing, he's the one who's got the <laughs> taken to the woods thing going right yeah, now. In yeah, the, in the broader bulwark cinematic universe, I'll try to keep an open mind about that but i really don't see it at at, at the moment um but um so uh what what i do is um i've worked with computers um for most of my uh career um i started out making uh 3d computer graphics for broadcast with supercomputers um working in new york for quite some time um and after that um i was uh an early uh employee at a company that um pioneered streaming media on the uh the internet um and um then uh went to grad school and um got a a job working with a nonprofit that helps uh amputees in developing countries uh get prosthetic limbs uh and uh, these days uh, i'm working on another software project uh and i'm doing some writing um uh, yeah but where did you get into the document forgery? The document where did these forgery. Come from? Yeah. So, I mean, it's great cover, this software engineering <laughs> thing you've got. Um, you're like Barrio, you know, by day, mild-mannered school principal. Uh, you know, where did you learn to forge uh, Vichy documents? Yeah. Um, so um, the blank documents um, came from a... Uh, a small uh, memorabilia supplier in France. Um, and um, so I, I wanted to get you guys something, and I, I uh, located this, uh, this uh, woman in France and I, uh, who makes uh, blank wartime documents. So she forged the blank documents. Um, and as far as I can tell, it's just sort of like a um, you know, the way some people uh, get Civil War, you know, uh, memorabilia, that kind of thing. Um, and um, I once I received them, um, I was like, well, you know, this is cool, but um, it needs to be a little bit more personalized for Sarah and Ben. So then I used my um, computer uh, skills to uh, create your or to document your your wartime identities on the identity papers so that's how we get for example the tattoo of uh friedrich hayek on uh sarah's uh leg and um ben's tattoo of john marshall so and and i am my my occupation my french isn't great 
right? But uh, but but <laughs> I, my, I understand that my occupation is as a uh, as a cabaret singer. That is correct. That you are a cabaret singer. I wonder if Ben was able to successfully translate his occupation. The truth is, I don't have it in front of me, and I don't remember. Well, your your occupation uh, was peasant. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, that is, I mean, I, you know, that's because I have a cabin in the woods and I, uh, and I, uh, you know, plan uh, canon activities. That, that was so accurate that it, it just didn't stick with me. It just seemed descriptive. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it fit um, very well. And Sarah, as a cabaret singer, um, you know, what can I say? I've heard I've heard stories about, um, you know, um, what happens at, at your parties and so forth. And um, so I just thought that would be a good one, too. And she's very into musicals. It's, yes, it's, it's it's accurate. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, it was it was such a delightful thing to receive. Um, usually when I open those packages, it's just filled with hate mail. Um, <laughs> and so. <laughs> And it was so, I was opening, it was like my team, we were all in the office and everybody was like, oh, you know, everybody was like freaking out. Oh, it was so, I mean, oh. there's, there's like a fingerprint on the ID card yeah. and like, it's so detailed. Yeah. Uh, and the one that always just, just kills me uh, because it's in the show so much is the, is the thing that they the put on like the pass. dashboard of their cars right, right. to get across the bridge. Cause that, yes. it looks exactly like what it is. And you see it in the show all the time. Right. Uh, the, love it. The Ausweis. And I mean, the documents to me almost seem like characters in the show that kind of remind you about what it means to live in a police state. And, you know, when I held these things in my hand, it just seemed really it seemed very uh, real. Um, so I'm glad I'm really super glad that you guys um, got a lot out of it also. Well, we appreciated it extremely. And uh couldn't be more tickled that you came on the show to talk about it. So thank you for thank you for doing it. Thank you for uh, uh, for for all your for, super fandom. And yeah, and thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Yeah. So why don't you mute yourself and just hang out with us? We're gonna we're gonna jump in here and talk about uh, the beginnings of uh, season four. Which I will just say, Ben. <laughs> It feel, we are we are was this is the sort of turning point of the series right it's our halfway point uh we have especially I, people don't know this yet the seventh season is shorter it's like on the shorter side um so we are more than halfway through is my main point um and and I will say you know season three is a tough a tough season and it's nice to kind of open up into season four and meet we're, a bunch we're, of new we're, people. We're out of the Holocaust department and just into slavery. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, no, it's, it's a breakthrough. We're, 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 we're just into the period where the Germans are trying to prolong the war for as long as possible. And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a real relief. It's a real relief. And I think, you know, what's what's exciting to me is, you know, I, the fourth season opens and, you know, obviously every time I I see people that I'm because you, whenever you watch a show that's this long, your memories are freshest of the people toward the end. And so when I saw Antoine in the beginning, I was like, there's Antoine. We're going to get to hang out with Antoine because he's obviously uh, he's a, an important uh, character throughout the rest of the series. Um, I didn't and, know that. Uh, well, well, spoiler alert, he is important. Uh, that's, he's just, he's a mainish character. Um, and so he is, he has been introduced to us as the younger brother of Schwartz's new wife, who is the maid uh, that he was having the affairish with, I guess. Um, they, they don't go into too much detail about that. They kind of have an affair and then they seem to be in a relationship and now they're clearly married. And so Antoine is Schwartz's brother-in-law. And Janine, meanwhile, is remarried to uh, Chassigny, uh, which um, is, uh, you know, they are now rivaling Hortense and Muller for, for evil people sex. Um, and, um, uh, uh, the 
the fact that two divorces and two remarriages have happened since the last episode uh, is suggestive of a considerable lag in time, which we know because the last uh, episode is in um, uh, the the last season is uh, in the fall of forty two, uh, and this season is in the fall uh, September specifically, or it starts in September of forty three, um, and. You know, a lot has happened in that time, which the show uh, uh, depicts mostly in uh, elliptical references. So a few a few notes uh, about what's happened in the lag. The first is that uh, it is now pretty clear to a lot of people that Germany is losing the war which is not true in in the fall of 30, 42 right uh so they are now we're now in like disaster for the germans in the on the eastern front department uh we're uh and you know Chassigny and and his uh new uh bride uh actually have a conversation about what happens if the Germans lose. Uh, the, uh, you know, other people talk about when liberation, you know, when when liberation happens, right? There's a kind of different vocabulary that has kind of caught on. And, you know, we're not yet at Normandy, right, where people know the modality of it and how it's going to happen. But, uh, there is a sense in the air that that Germany is not faring well in the world, and actually Müller uh, articulates it very well, which is, you know, we lose a tank every four hours, and the Americans and the Russians, by the way, Americans now very much in the war, not just in a distant theoretical sense, but in a uh, in a very on the ground kind of sense. Um, the um uh um you know the americans and the russians are producing 10 of them and it's just a matter of mathematics and that's a you know that's a realization that is settling in in this time that germany is just being out outproduced industrially and in a in a highly industrialized world you cannot win a war being outproduced like that. Um, so that's another thing. The, the, the third and big background related point is that Germany has responded to this by instituting its uh, slave labor policy, uh, which, um, you know, was a big deal at Nuremberg, right? That Germany basically conscripted uh, uh, large numbers of French and other uh, they did the same thing in in other countries they were occupying, young men and and young women as well, and dragged them to Germany for uh, for forced labor. Uh, that policy is now up and running. Uh, it was not up and running when we left, um, and although it was you know sort of being talked about, um, uh, and so. You definitely have a very different atmosphere here. Um, uh, France is not merely under occupation now. It's not merely lost its autonomous zone. It's now having its it's now having people basically conscripted into you know slave labor in factories in Germany, and of course this fuels a very uh, you know fuels the discrediting of the Vichy regime. And fuels as well uh, the uh, rise of both the communists and the Gaullists in resistance. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to see, and I think they do a good job sort of depicting this on the show, uh, how sending everybody's 
children, you know, like teenage sons. And that's what it is, right? You know, you see Chesonier get up and give this. Ben, were you not compelled by Chesonier's speech about why the Germans are spilling their blood? The least we can do is send them our young people to go work. I mean, yeah, come because on, guys. Uh, because otherwise it's going to be the Bolsheviks and the Jews who are running. The <laughs> we're going to run everything. Which, that's which, it. Is, which is really, you know, <laughs> what 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 I'm worried about. Yeah, there is something about sort of Chesonier's. Um, his verve in what is, and, and to be fair, this is at the beginning of the first episode, and then Mueller's speech about how out, out just outgunned they are comes sort of at the second half, uh, the back half of the second episode. Um, but Chesonier is, is sort of throwing his whole self into what is already starting to become apparent as a lost cause, which I think is is sort of interesting. I mean, he is, throughout these episodes, I mean, he's such a revolting character, but, you know, he, he um, you know, in the second episode when they start to take French, um, they're, there's, they're, there's some of their soldiers have been shot. We'll get into, get into why, but uh, the, the response, Mueller says, is we're going to go arrest 50, and Servier protests, and he's 100, and then Chassinier chimes in and said, 300, we should, they killed three soldiers, we will send 300 prisoners for each, and he's, you know, he is basically trying to be, he, he he's delighting in being a monster and in trying to, um, you know, be as vicious to the French people who aren't collaborating and, and get a gold star for being the biggest and baddest collaborator. Uh, but it's interesting to me that he's doing this at a time when the Germans like the, they seem pretty clear it's not going to go their way. Uh, and in fact, what what sort of is the, you know, you see when they're sending these young men into the forced labor, their parents, they do kind of a pan shot across to the parents. You see how nobody is buying Chassonier's speech. They hate this idea of sending their young people. And, and you can also tell that people have a sense, a different sense of the timeline, because rather than do the forced labor you know, it, it starts this whole storyline about the young men running away to hide. Well, you don't go hide in the woods um, if you think that this is going to happen now for another, for years and years, right? You think, I can wait this out uh, because it's coming to a natural conclusion at some point. Yeah, so again, this is, I I think, a a fictionalized depiction of something accurate, which is when the German occupation was new um, and it was not yet clear how monstrous it was going to be. And the Petain government was the natural successor to uh, the wartime government. Um, It was you know, it had pretty broad support and it was um, a, it was thought of and the early episodes of the show depict this, the marshal was our protector against the Germans and sure, collaboration was just an adaptive strategy that was a reflection of the terms of the armistice, right? France had this armistice forced upon it and it required certain things of it. And the the collaboration was, you know, compliance with the terms of an armistice in a war that they'd lost. Um, As the occupation, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer what it is. Um, And as it becomes as the Germans themselves systematically violate the armistice and as they start making demands that are wholly outside the terms of it, like, for example, you know, deport all your Jews, uh, summer of 42, and now send us all your young men for slave labor, or even earlier holding hostages and the Vichy government is cooperating with this, this reduces and reduces and reduces the public appetite for the conduct of this government. And ultimately, the only people who support it are people who are actually hardcore fascists, right? It's not the, you know, the the Danielle Larches who, when he's confronted 
with his wife about Mueller, he's like, your, your boyfriend is sending people hostages to Germany, right? He's not, he's not involved anymore. He's, uh, he's just treating patients. The, uh, and the only people who are involved are the, you know, the actual ideological fascists like the Chassigny's. And of course, the servile servier, right, who, you know, is, you know, and the marquetee who is, you know, who is, you know, the police functionary, the functionaries of the state itself. Um, but principally, you're concentrating the support in the people who are, you know, most ideologically committed to something like what the Germans are about. Yeah, and you see, you know, Marchetti, he shows up in the first episode early on, and he is, he's sort of like rounding up. He's going after somebody who has deserted, and it's clear that the a lot of people are trying to avoid being conscripted into this policy, not just, um, not just the Antoine and the young men we start following uh, as they sort of gather in hiding, um, but you, the, when the camera's panning across the young men that are being sent while Chassinier is giving his speech, you see that some of them are in handcuffs, right? They have been captured and pulled back in and being like, you're going. Um, and Marchetti's job is basically now, just as he rounded up Jews, now he's rounding up young Frenchmen to be sent to Germany. Um, another uh, just quick Marchetti aside that I find bizarre on the passage of time is that he is now... Uh, living with, uh, who we see- He's found a new woman to terrorize. Right, but do you know who that is? I think that's the girl Raul kissed. Like is that it? is, it is, Elian? yeah. It is. She, Ooh, so she, I didn't recognize her. So it's weird. I, I had to like go back and look and it's the, and, and I remembered this from Again, before too. this is real evidence to our teenage listeners. Don't kiss people. It yeah, just you, leads to bad places. That's, so so she so she not so she she both works at the sawmill, which I guess I this is this is sometimes when I get like irritated with the show. I think it's great that we that we show and don't tell, but I also think I'm like, last we heard she was leaving and taking her family, and it was actually a plot driver that she was going because it set off an information um, sort of line of communication. And now she is working at the sawmill and living with Marchetti in a way that. The vibe of her living with Marchetti is though she has been like captured there. Like she seems like she is a hostage to him. It's not, there's no, there's no love between them. She seems sad and like she has nowhere to go. And he seems like he is just looking for somebody to be cruel to while he misses Rita, essentially. Um, but but that is it is the same person. Uh I had missed that entirely. Thank you. Yeah, well, um, so so let's let's follow Antoine for a little bit here. So uh, we'll just do a quick his quick thread. We meet Antoine. He is um, because he works for Schwartz in the sawmill. He does not have to go into forced labor. But when Marchetti shows up uh, and sees that somebody who is is trying to avoid the forced labor is hiding at the sawmill, he shoots that guy in the back as he's running away, and sort of meets Antoine under these circumstances and uh, is annoyed by him and basically, you know, turns him in for not going uh, into forced labor. And so Antoine is um, is conscripted. And Schwartz, uh, his, his older brother-in-law, I will say the age gap between the sister and the brother is a little mystifying to me. Antoine appears to be, I'm always obsessed by these age gaps, but Antoine <laughs> appears to be no he's more than- 21. Tw yeah, he's 21. She is married to like 50-year-old Schwartz, the sister. She's got to yeah, be- she's probably about 30 maybe, and maybe 35. And they all come from one of these big French Catholic families that, um, you know, you don't know how many siblings are in between, right? I guess- uh, I guess I'm, this is again, I wouldn't put her at 30, 35, but anyway, whatever. Uh, they are brother and sister. <laughs> and so Schwartz is going out of his way to like, to try to protect Antoine. Antoine is also helping him at the sawmill. He likes him clearly, even though Antoine is headstrong and mouthy 
uh, and Schwartz and he kind of fight. Schwartz is determined to help him. So he sets him up with a hideout somewhere. And it turns out there's another guy in the hideout and we meet Claude. It is also fun to see Claude again. Uh, Claude is an acting student uh, of the, he's a uh, student of the dramatic arts, uh, which we see evidence of as he uh, lies his way through the next couple of episodes. Um, But, and, and one of the lies that Claude tells to Antoine is that they hear something outside he tells them it's the cops. Antoine or Claude's parents have ratted out, ratted them out their location. So they go and jump out the back window and run, uh, where they meet up with one of another one of Claude's friends, Terry. Uh, so fun to see Terry. Uh, it is like I don't really like any of the superhero movies, like Avengers or anything, but I I do like I do like the whenever like the team is assembled, like that idea of teams being assembled. And so seeing these guys come together, Terry is hiding out uh, in the barn of a farmer uh, who's also important. Um, and so they're all uh, they're all meeting each other for the first time. So these boys are starving. Uh, Claude has lied. Antoine realizes Claude has lied to him. Uh, it wasn't the cops, but he, Claude just liked him, thought it would be great if they all, you know, hung out together and uh, went to live in the woods. And so they, where they go to the woods and they meet sort of the rest of these guys who are already living there. And they're all just, they're all starving. It's a, bun- a bunch of young men who are all trying to avoid forced labor, living in the woods together, trying to cook chestnuts uh, to eat. But you can see how this is the beginning of something uh, special. But Ben, what did you make of all of our boys in the woods? So I did not like this. Uh, scene just as a dramatic moment. I thought like the like where Claude fakes cancer or what, well, this part? whole this whole sequence of like um, I, this is not a historical criticism. It's a dramatic criticism. You know, there's this whole like I think it dates back to at least to Shakespeare, where you know people run away and they find a fun-loving gang in the woods. Um, you know, and uh, they're 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 starving, but they're plucky, and they um, and they uh, they uh, have a sort of joshing Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy kind of relationship with one another. It's love hate, but it's more love than hate, and they take on the bad guys together. And um, and I thought the fact that like the guy was an acting student and fakes, you know, lies a lot and fakes cancer and does the whole shtick was a little hackneyed, I thought. Um, and particularly so for uh, a show that actually doesn't engage in a lot of that. Um, but I thought these were at, at least so far pretty stock characters. Um, and, you know, and has a little bit of, um, you know, uh, you know, found by the gang in the woods that's, you know, going to take on the Vichy's and the Nazis thing going. And I, I, I actually like the way the story develops the, the, the much better the way the show develops the other resistance gangs that we see. Um, where, you know, for example, Marcel and Suzanne and the communists, as well as Marie and, uh, uh, where you have these, these plot lines that are much less devices and much more human stories of how people, uh, came to be doing the things that they were doing both ideologically and just, you know, morally in terms of what they saw. So I thought there was something a little bit cheap, honestly, about this. And it's less about Antoine and more about Claude. Um, But, uh, you know, I keep waiting for like one of them to dress up as a bear or something like there's there's something like it feels like it jumped out of, uh, I don't know, um, uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel or something. Okay, I'm I'm very sad to know that you feel this way because I the time in the so first and also if you hate the boys hanging out in the woods, 
you might need to settle in. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> this, is, this is not quite a plot that goes away. Uh, but uh, also, and I also, I love these guys. Now, granted, I've spent time, a lot more time. So we'll just see. My hope is, is that over time you fall in love with them too. Uh, and I got to say, though, you know. I don't mind Suzanne and Marcel. No, no, no. And we'll get to them. We'll get to them. Just, But the one thing, the one thing I'll, I'll is like, uh, so uh, one of my my best friends has just published a book uh, called Into the Woods, and it is about the Jews who lived in the woods during this time. And and I guess, and, and I've seen, you know, there's whole movies and, like, there's a canon sort of devoted to the Jews who went into the woods to hide and live um, and fight, you know, uh, during this time. And so I guess that part, it felt more authentic to me them living in the woods because of that, that I know that there there were people who did this during this time. Um, and and I guess I didn't feel, I mean, like, Claude is a bit of a character that's, you know, different than what we've seen. But I guess, I, I don't know, I sort of, I sort of liked that with these, because Antoine's all, you can already tell a bit of a, a bit of a straight edge. Yes. So, look, there. There is no doubt there a lot of people lived in the woods in these years. And, you know, the cities were really unsafe and the country, a lot of people fled to the countryside. And even within the countryside, the admin, the, the detail orientation of the French administrative state was such that being out of sight was really important. And so, you know, there were significant encampments of people uh, of a variety of different, you know, the, the uh, of a variety of different types living in, you know, small encampments in the woods uh, for both for resistance activities and just for evasion of, of capture reasons. Um, my objection is less to the living in the woods depiction, which is quite reasonable, and to the sort of broy nature of of Claude and the the depiction of Claude and Antoine's meeting which did seem to me a little 48 hoursy. Okay. <laughs> and I All hope right. the I hope the Claude character, you know, gets the screenwriters get a handle. I know I know it's tempting to do shit with him cuz he's an acting student and you know, you can make jokes about him being a liar but also acting and maybe they should fight about whether it's okay to steal chickens. But come on, that stuff is cheap. So, you know, jeez. All right, tough critic. <laughs> tough critic of the male friendship stuff. Okay. Oh, I don't Who's I been? don't, you know. All right. All right. Well, hold on. Let's let's get to it. Let's get to I know that Suzanne is your ha- that's that's your happy space is when we're talking about Suzanne. She is so. my hero. I love yeah. her. She, and I, I'm increasingly fond of Marcel too, though he's a fucking commie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing, so Marcel, uh, well, part of it is that we do get to see in these episodes Marcel finally say something because he's a bit of like a communist robot, you know? Oh, like yeah. he's just and and you know, you know, you know, somewhere deep inside there's this like burning passion that gives him this political, you know, whatever. But like most of the time when he talks, he just he says things that are incredibly robotic, devoid of all feeling, and like also does things like like Suzanne's whole story arc here is driven by the fact that she cannot stay away from her daughter. Her daughter has had to have surgery. She's going to, you know, organize a meeting so that she can go put her eyes on her kid. And like that we haven't seen Marcel, you know, say boo about Gustav in a while. I miss Gustav, by the way. Yeah, it, it, I knew this when everybody, when you and Kate and people were getting really attached to Gustav in the earlier episodes. I was like, oh, this is this 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 he loses his arc uh, at some point. Um, you know, we get to see Tekiero for about thirty seconds in these two episodes as well. Um, uh, yeah. So any, but the, the, so any, but Marcel does in these episodes just like confess his love for Suzanne, and it's nice to see, and it's clearly nice for her to hear. Um, but these are also like Suzanne is just uh, like Marie. Uh, she emerges not just as like the woman in these groups of men who are part of the resistance, because there's sort of always sort of the tale of two resistance that we're sort of slowly seeing come together, which is the Barrio, um, Marie kind of flank that got that got taken out 
uh, at the end of season three. And then there's the, the communists and the socialists that have come together. But Suzanne, more and more, is not just a part of that group, but she's the person devising the plans. Um, and in this couple of episodes, she has a good plan. And she's trying to, you know, well, it, it goes a little south. But she is, she is and Marcel are trying to figure out how they get weapons. And so they have figured out when a truck comes through, they see that it is not particularly well guarded. She figures out a way to uh, get their hands on some uniforms by sort of playing a damsel in distress um, so that they can, as cops, pretending to be cops, flag down a truck, uh, which they do. Um, unfortunately, instead of carrying a bunch of guns, it just happens to that day be transporting a group of new soldiers uh, and so there is a firefight in which a couple of the young communists that we don't really know very well um, end up getting killed. Um, and it also leads to the the deaths of these German soldiers that then uh, causes Muller to have this conversation with Chassonier and Servier about all the prisoners he wants to take. Um, even though he knows that taking the prisoners is basically at this time useless and will just increase the desire to join the resistance, which he just says flat out. Um, but 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 the but the on the romantic side, Suzanne's husband comes back. Uh he like he just like shows up like he kind of like escaped from a German POW camp. Yeah. And he's also like but he's kind of like he knows she's coming to arrange the thing with to see the kid and he like pops in like he's trying to, you know, catch her off guard. It's, a, it's another scene, again, uh, like Marie, where we have uh, a woman seeing her husband return and the look on her I'm face is one thrilled. of... not thrilled. Not the least bit happy to see this guy. Also, I know these are cheap comments, but I would just like to say Suzanne is very much out of this guy's league. I do not yeah. know why she was married to this guy in the first place. This is, what a drip of a guy. Yeah, and he's a pitanist too. That's right. They have a whole political conversation in which he's, he's like... Is it my politics? Is that why you don't want to be with me? And she's like, no, actually, it's all the other stuff. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it is, so, the, and and there's sort of this through line of, of Suzanne trying to get Marcel to just be like, fight for me. Like, say you want to be with me. And Marcel is like clearly jealous that this husband's here, but he's also saying dumb things like, well, your husband's back, I'll step aside, you know, and you know, what do you want me to do, challenge him? And she's sort of like, yeah, dummy. Like, and I was also like, it seems like a challenge is sort of unnecessary. It just seems like she can kind of say, hey, you're back, but I'm, things have changed. Uh, but that seems complicated for her. Although she does it. She does. Um, and uh, look, this is a society in which uh, divorce is still quite frowned upon. Not among uh, our characters. But not yes. among <laughs> our characters, but actually, uh, you know, the realistic example of this, I think, in, in that period is Hortense and, uh, and Danielle, who just uh, live apart and, you know, she lives flagrantly with the enemy and they are still married, as best as we can tell. Um and I think that's the the more the more realistic um, uh, or more typical um, uh, thing. You know, this is the left of that society, so there's a um, a little bit more. Uh, it's a little bit less uh, infused by um, by church expectations, but there was a. Um, uh, it is still, you know, not an obvious thing that when your husband comes back from the G German POW camp, you do not have obligations to, you know, drop whatever came up in your life beforehand. Um, uh, yeah, so look, Suzanne, like Marie, has kind of taken a, a leadership role the plan that she devises is actually a good one. Um, and um, it is ultimately successful, though it, you know, they capture a bunch of weapons, although it has so it has considerable casualties associated with it. And of course it uh, it generates reprisals. Um, but 
um, uh, you know, the I suppose the larger drama of Suzanne in this pair of episodes, as you say, is is that she kind of has to decide what comes first in her life. And I think she decides first is her role, second is Marcel, and a very distant third is the husband. Um, and as a collateral matter, she is, you know, by voting with her feet, giving up the daughter as well. Yeah, which I can't... I've never quite been able to, it is my, I've said this before, but like it is my overarching and total complaint about the show, which is I just have, do not find, the way that children like Gustav, like take Hiero, they end up as being plot drivers. I mean, Schwartz's kid is like long gone. Um, And, you know, I just, the, the idea that is, I mean, just as a parent, that you're the absolute thing that wouldn't be driving you would be protecting your kids in some way. I mean, I guess, you know, this, this idea of sending people away to live somewhere safer is not crazy, and it's a good way to get the kids out of the plot. But, um, but no, I, I think this is the nature of the situation. If you're Marie and you're putting your kids first, you're not running a resistance cell, right? The na- Like, if you're... You, then you're Lucien, and you're um, you're maybe tolerating what your husband's doing. You're, but you're reminding him all the time that you know, hey, we have a baby now, and I don't want you putting yourself in danger. And I I do think the nature of the people that the show focuses on, and that we regard in retrospect as heroic, um, are people who were willing to say, you know, not quite fuck the kids, but, um, but, you know, as, look, I mean, at the beginning, um, uh, Cremieux says, no, we're not going to bust my family out because nobody's personal interests are, are, uh, should be taken into account. And then, you know, his betrayal is when he, you know, goes uh, goes against that and actually does the moment you let those considerations uh, affect your behavior is the moment at which Marketi has you by the by the throat. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, in Marie's case, though, she's got these older I mean, the second son, the younger son has like has disappeared. I don't know where he is, um, but the older one is. I don't know. I found it credible that she was bringing him into the resistance because uh, yeah. he's like 17 or something. Um, How'd that work out for her? Uh, yeah, well, uh, it was not great at the end of season three. Um, uh, I do believe, well, actually, I'm not going to say anything. Um, we do see Marie. Marie at the very end of the second episode uh, walks into the woods with the angry farmer uh, who was mad at the guys for stealing his chickens. And I love seeing Marie. Love when she's back. Uh, it's, it's a pretty dramatic entrance there with the, with the rifle and the, and the stern look and the windswept hair. She looks great. She looks great. It's great to see Marie. Love yeah. to see Marie, and they're good. It's good, good. And I was, you know, I like, and I, and I love Suzanne's arc. I just will say, with the, it makes perfect sense to me that Suzanne is trying to go see her daughter, and that that is a driving thing. And Marcel even like chastises her for doing it. Um, and so you might be right that there was like a culture at the time of you do not put anything personal above this. I just. I don't know. I just have a hard time getting my head into the idea that you, these kids just don't factor uh, this way. But whatever. Um, whatever. Uh, so, well, not whatever, but I don't know what else to say. This. So let's just quickly do Lucienne and Barrio, though. Yeah. Um, they, they have an interesting couple episodes. They do. Uh, and... I'm I'm excited to see I'm excited to talk to you as the season unfolds about Lucien's particular arc uh, and this new character that we've got. Uh, uh, this this singing teacher has shown up to the school, uh, and she's she's a pretty young woman uh, who just kind of says like, "Do you know? Don't you know I'm coming? I'm the new singing teacher." And Lucien is like, "Why well, I'm the I teach them to sing." 
Uh, Barrio says, uh, well, yeah, but she's a singing teacher. So it just sort of is like, she's here now. This is great. We'll give her a room. Uh, but Lucienne is very skeptical of this person and uh, where she has come from to the extent that she becomes uh, a bit of a, a bit of a, you know, going through her things, reading her letters. Um, and before I, before I say who this person is, Ben, what was your reaction to uh, this young woman coming on the scene? So it's super cleverly written. It's totally unclear. Is she an actual resistance person as she represents Tiberio? Is she a kind of false flag plant of some sort? Is she there to spy on them? Um, is she something else entirely? Um, and the and Barrio, in his wily way, is uh, quite careful about her. He asks her questions. He listens to her. He learns because she tells him that she knows that he's involved in a resistance cell, but then he denies it to her. He does not, he does not accept her at face value. And um, she has this letter that is apparently from another resistance person, but is kind of written in w without either in code or, or at least without showing a lot of uh, its, uh, or at least elliptically, uh, that is, again, hard to discern whether it's a, uh, whether it's authentic or whether it's a, you know, an attempt to establish a legend for her. So we're left having very little idea who she is, uh, except that she claims to be a resistance figure and is uh, leading the children in uh, nationalistic pans to the marshal. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's, it's definitely setting up that question as, you know, one of the major tensions of that plot line in the current season. But I, I, I was unable to develop a hypothesis as to the answer. Yeah, uh, I think that's, I think that's right. I, I I remember this well and have lots of feelings about it overall. But uh, but there is the like Lucienne brings this sort of single white female energy to this particular <laughs> plot line where she's like you know like like weirdly obsessed with figuring this out. And like Barrios, even though Barrio understands, he's not sure where this person falls and has you know his reservations. He's also kind of like, let's just, let's just chill. Uh, and Lucienne is like all well, over this looking well, for Barrio excuses is, to get into the room. Barrio's not a panicker. Right. He's, he's a pretty cool cucumber. He has existed in this environment. People knowing that he's a national, that he's a, a, a constitutionalist and a sort of third Republic guy Without, um, I mean, you know, the, Servier and and Chessigny want him arrested and interrogated, and Marquetti's like, you know, yeah. So he sings the Marseillaise. You know, he's done stuff in public, um, but he does seem to know where the lines are uh, that he can't, that he, you know, can't cross. And um, and Lucien is much much less worldly. Um, she's, um, you know, she's much more conservative um, and, uh, and doesn't, like, I think she has a little bit more of a panic instinct with respect to this new person who shows up and, by the way, is living in their house. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's, she's, it's not like, you know, somebody at work who is, you know, who you don't quite get. It's somebody who's at work who you don't quite get who's living with you. Right. Um, and so I, I kind of understand where she's coming from. Uh, you know, if somebody showed up in my house um, and my workplace uh, with no, I had no idea where they were coming from uh, and I had no 
you know, nobody called me and vouched for them, I might go through their mail too. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know about Ben. Well, uh, wouldn't you? Would you be like all respectful of privacy? You don't know. You don't know if it's like somebody from, you know, sent by, I don't know, uh, 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 Dan Bongino or all you know, <laughs> all you know is they've moved into, you know, Shea Longwell and, um, and they're showing up at the bulwark every day and representing themselves as like, you know, a, an important never Trump figure. Um, you'd be like, and then they get a secret piece of mail that's from, you know, supposedly from Mar-a-Lago. You'd totally open the letter. Boy, you know, I just, this is, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I think the answer to that is no. This is like, <laughs> I would never open somebody else's mail. Like, I would just find that. It's really British uh, of you. I don't know. It's freaking World War II, I girl. mean, I get, you're right. Well, I, okay, I'm just, I I wasn't like, Bill Crystal received communiques all the time, and I wasn't like, oh, I need to go through Bill's mail and make sure he's on the level, you no, know? But like, Bill, <laughs> you know, but, but Bill is somebody you knew and trusted. I'm talking about... Now it's somebody who just shows up one day. Just like you did in my life. Ben would have showed up one day. Uh, we met his... at P&P. Yeah. That's different. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Okay. Well, you that's good. You're defending Lucienne. That's good. You're not always I'm, on her I'm, side. I'm okay with Lucienne's uh, immoral behavior here. <laughs> All right. Is there anything we've met else we've met? So the one thing we should, I should just like hit this point, which is that Chassanier gets shot. Uh, good. Uh, he does get <laughs> shot, uh, just like in the arm. Another guy gets killed. And there's like a, this is actually early on. It's like right after the um, he's like posing for photos after he gives his speech about sending the kids off for forced labor. Uh, and there's a, a guy sort of like weirdly sweeping uh, who turns around and, and shoots. I guess his like his personal assistant and then gets Chasnier in the arm. Um, and and it is it is actually part of the. They think that Barrio, because it happens sort of on the school grounds, that Barrio is somehow potentially connected, which it appears he is not at all. Um, but w one of the things about this shooting is that it—it's not a massive plot point, but it does create the overall atmospherics that are going on in these episodes, where you're like, people are starting to push back, uh, and and you know, whereas everybody was sort of. And then the people are cowed who are watching their sons be shipped off. But there is just resistances in the air in a way that is different um, from before. And also, like, there's clearly more access to weapons uh, among the people who are in the resistance. You know, it's a big plot point early on because there's the ban on guns and you see Barrio get yanked in just for having, like, his dad's old rifle that doesn't even work um, and almost gets him killed. Um, and now, you know, the commies have enough guns to go hold up this truck. One of them is a machine gun and they're, they're doing it to get more guns. And so the, the being armed, um, as opposed to, you know, nobody having any sort of way to defend themselves, that, that is shifting and is notable. Yeah. And the, and the, the compunction about engaging in, armed resistance is down. Remember in the in the early episodes when the communists, you know, decide to kill one German officer, this is a big deal, both because it's, you know, murder's murder, uh, but also because, you know, they're going to take hostages in response and execute a bunch of people. And, you know, now the Th that logic is just gone, right? They, yeah, they know they're going to take hostages and, you know, ship 300 people to Germany and they don't care. They're doing it anyway, right? The, and by the way, the Gaullists are, you know, we don't know that that sweeper uh, is is a communist. He may be a Gaullist, right? They're doing it too, Um the logic that starts with Cremieux, where he says, yeah, they're right. Let's, uh, it's the communists have this thing right, um, has now really spread. And, and that's a, um, you know, that's a big cultural change. That's right. 
Um, just the last plot point I'll just toss in for good measure is that Servier does show up uh, to Marchetti's office and drop a file on his desk to say, hey, one of the guards who was guarding the border was shot uh, and, you know, need you to take this seriously and look into it. <laughs> Which, of uh, course, is a his the murder that uh, he himself committed um, or that Marchetti committed in protecting Rita at the end of season three in the grand illusion moment of the end of season three. Um, I assume that is setting up a plot de uh, development in which the police investigate Marchetti's murder of this guard, um, but really it's just flagged in this episode. Well, we will have to wait and see. Uh, Fred Jacobs, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for being a super fan and for sending us all the fun stuff. Uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week to do episodes uh, three and four of season four. Annie Deet, take us home. Nous, nous bien tendrement, comme tous les amants.